One of the cases in Point Pleasant in the 60s was that the people got afraid and got in their car and drove away, and he followed them and would fly right alongside and look in the window. Yeah, can you imagine? And, then, you know, they're driving 100 miles an hour. Listen, i got to drive home alone tonight. Oh, I wouldn't. <laughs> Showtime. Welcome to the show. I'm Brent Holland from Night Fright. Tonight, a very, very special show. Welcome to the first show of 2010. Now, how did it get to be 2010? It just seems I went to sleep the other night and it was 1999. Now it's 2010. Aha. Uh -huh. What's going on tonight? The Mothman. Oh, yeah, baby. Right here on Night Fright. The Mothman Prophecies. Special guest Robin Bellamy is going to be joining us. Now, let's let me read the synopsis here. Now, The Mothman, for all of you that want a great reference, there's a great movie out there called The Mothman Prophecies. Richard Gere was in it. I think it was done maybe four or five, uh, maybe more than that, several years ago. Very creepy movie. Creeped me out. Now, The Mothman is a classic, true story of modern horror. The following two paragraphs are taken directly from the back cover of John A. Keel's book, The Mothman Prophecies. And I quote, for 13 months, the entire town of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, was gripped by a dark terror that culminated in a tragedy that made headlines all over the world. Now, this is a story that contains all the elements of modern science fiction movies, but every single word is true and fully documented by famed journalist John A. Keel. Now, homes throughout the little town were plagued with unearthly noises and ghostly manifestations, while mysterious aerial lights traveled silently overhead, seemingly on a regular schedule. Winged monsters, oh yeah, and frightening apparitions terrified the populations as automobiles stalled, telephones and TV sets ran amok. Now, this is really creepy. A Red Cross bloodmobile filled with fresh blood was pursued along a darkened highway by a weird flying machine. Domestic animals were found slaughtered and mutilated in pastoral farm fields. Innocent people lived in surrealistic horror, haunted by the fearsome demonic bird, quote-unquote, and besieged by legions of strange beings, some of which arrived in ordinary-looking automobiles. Tonight, oh yeah, get ready folks. Tonight on Night Fright, it's the Mothman Prophecies. Strap in and hang on, here we go. There is a time to question. There is a time for answers. There is a time to challenge. There is a time to speculate. There is a time for change. There is a time for truth. The time is now. Welcome to Night Fright. Your voice in the dark for Paranormal and Conspiracy Radio. Now your host, Brent Holland. And a good, good evening. 
morning, one and all. It is frosty out there. It's time. Once again, settle in your favorite chair, get a cup of coffee or tea going, and get ready for the Mothman prophecies and to be scared out of your wits. On the phone live from Toronto is Robin Bellamy. Robin Bellamy speaks yearly at the Mothman Festival in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. She recently appeared on Sci-Fi Investigates and does regular interviews for radio and television, such as Night Fright. Robin also teaches a ghost research course, which I'm going to ask her about. This sounds great. For the Toronto District School Board, can you imagine being in a school situation and being having an option to go for a ghost research course. Fantastic idea. Toronto District School Board in Toronto, Ontario. It is my great pleasure to welcome Robin Bellamy to Night Fright for the very first time. How you doing, Robin? I'm good. And you? Very, very well, thank you. Very well. I don't know if I can compete with the scary intro theme. <laughs> I wrote that. Gee whiz. It's got to be two years ago now. I was um, trying to come up with a theme for the show, and that's what came out. Pretty scary what goes on in this head, isn't it? <laughs> Let's start off, Robin. Everybody kind of has a focal point of the Mothman Prophecies movie. I was wondering if we could talk a little bit, just for the folks that haven't seen it and perhaps aren't aware of what the Mothman Prophecies are, if you can give us an overview. Uh, well, okay. It starts back in, well, the movie version starts back in mm -hmm. 1967 in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, which is about halfway between Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and Cincinnati, Ohio on the Ohio River. And this is a, it's a tiny little town, about 5,000 people, tops. And this couple of couples were out parking, as couples sometimes do, in this deserted area. And something appeared, and it was about seven feet tall, uh, black or dark gray, and jumped out at them and scared them after that and chased them down the road when they went to report it at the sheriff's office. Uh, this thing showed up over and over and over again to hundreds of different people for about uh, 13 months. And then people stopped seeing it or stopped reporting their sightings after a bridge collapsed and killed 46 people. Um, there's some speculation as to whether people stopped seeing it or whether they were just so grief-stricken that they, it wasn't you know, something important to them anymore. Hmm. Um, the well, the most interesting thing, I think, is that it continues to be seen all over the world. We have reports here in Canada. Um, the two most recent are in uh, Chihuahua, Mexico, last April, and in the U.K. in October. Really? So this thing hasn't really gone away like some people think. Yeah. Um, you know, um I was always speculating, you know, you hear about crops or crop circles all over the place and people are always saying, well, you know, it's just some university drunkards out there with sticks and stuff making them. And I always speculated perhaps the Mothman could just be a pr bunch of pranksters dressed up in, in costumes or something along that line. But obviously, if it's seen around the world, this is not the case. There seems to be some evidence, too, that it um, showed up in, in prehistoric times as well. There are cave drawings of things that appear very similar to what the witnesses are reporting. So it's possible that this is, like Bigfoot, been around forever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, do you think this is a creature that is indigenous to the Earth, or do you think perhaps it could be a, a, a dimensional uh, creature, or perhaps even an ET of some sorts? I tend to go with the biological explanation, um, cryptozoological, cryptozoological, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe, 
and this is only my theory, that it is some kind of reproducing pseudo-animal mm. that um, has a sustaining population. And it has the ability to fly. Yes, straight up, without any takeoff. Oh, man. So it defies gravity and just goes straight up. Now, can you describe what the creature looks like for the folks? I've seen various pictures of it. Uh, there is some um, variance among the witnesses. Primarily, he's described, and he's always described as male, which is interesting. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, why uh, male? Pr primarily um, seven feet-ish tall, uh, gray or black, uh, no feathers. This is uh, kind of a scaly or smooth appearance. Uh, but the biggest thing that everybody comments on is the glowing red eyes. Uh, that seems to stick with everybody. These things cause tremendous fear um, just by looking at them, which is a little bit unusual as well. Uh, he has he has wings that are pointed like a bat, mm -hmm. and when he's not in flight, they tend to be folded up against his back. Oh, man, this is a creepy creature. In terms of color, is it dark black, dark grays, that type of thing? Yes. Um, typically charcoal or darker. You know, as you describe the height of this creature, we have a local MUFON representative here, UFO representative. His name is Michel Deschamps. He was on the show several times, and he was talking about a story out of Montreal where a witness witnessed a seven-foot-tall creature, much the same as you've just described, sitting on top of her house. And then all of a sudden, it just took off just like that. And he always put it down to an ET, but... I'm going to mention this to him because as you've described this creature, I wonder if it was a Mothman. I would love to be put in contact with him if you could do that. For me. Oh, I'd be happy to. That. I'd be happy to. He is, well, I'll give you all his information, no problem at all. On our website, actually, www.nightfrightshow.com, www.nightfrightshow.com, there's uh, the archives there. Just click on the archives. You can just scroll down to Michel's, uh, Michel Deschamps' name, his shows, and just click on his underlined name and that'll take you right to his website, but I'll send you that information anyways. There's even a picture of it on his website that somebody has hand-drawn just to try and give some sort of indication of the size of, and dimensions of this thing. And um, so that's quite interesting. Seven feet tall. Wow. That's really creepy. Now, do these things emanate terror, or is it just, you know, like obviously if I ran into something like this, I'd be scared out of my mind completely. I mean, I'd be scared out of my wits. But you were saying that most people that see it, it's the red eyes. I guess that would do it for me too. Do you feel that these things emanate the terror in terms to control or anything along those lines? I do. I think that this is a more of a feeling that mm. comes from the entity rather than it doing anything scary. As far as I know, it's never attacked anybody or, or harmed anybody in any way. It doesn't even have threatening behavior. It mm. just you know, flies around or lands mm -hmm. close or something like that. So it's not making an overt threat. Um, so it would have to come basically from you know, inside. Inside. Are they indigenous to any type of temperature, human, and perhaps a bird or even a pterodactyl or something along those lines? I think that that's 
theoretically possible. I'm not sure that the two species can, you know, interact mm-hmm. like that. But um, certainly from the description, that would appear to be the case. Um, we're, we're looking into thunderbirds as, as a possible connection. Oh. Although thunderbirds are not usually depicted as having uh, human things about them. Um, they, they're just obviously birds. Mm-hmm. And, and Mothman clearly has a human element. couple of things now. You had mentioned that they're always male. Do they have genitalia? And I guess they do if you can see that it's a male. And they seem to have a brain because they always seem to have intent as well. You know, I have a lot of really bad jokes about Mothman genitalia. (laughs) (laughs) Among those of us who research him, there are some really interesting, probably not for radio consumption. No, that's fine. Go ahead and tell us a few. Uh, Well, it concerns, well, okay, I'll tell you. How does Mothman reproduce? I'm afraid to ask how. <laughs> well, he has mothballs. Oh, my God. <laughs> See, even paranormalists can have a sense of humor. That's really good. I like that. I'm going to keep that. That's anyway, um, I don't think that there's any visible genitalia. I think it's just an impression. Um, um, but, you know, because we're looking at hundreds of years of sightings, mm-hmm. especially in the last hundred years, it's got to be a sustainable species. Uh, it can't possibly be one single entity that travels all over. Hmm. What about the fact that it has a brain and intent? I think that's the scariest part. Why is that? Uh, I, I, I am a Mothman witness. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in Point Pleasant area in Ravenswood, West Virginia. And down there, it's all quite normal. Um, because it happens so much, nobody really thinks twice about seeing these weird things, mm. which in and of itself is kind of weird. Um, so I really didn't know that it was anything unusual for most of my life. And I didn't feel any fear. Uh, but then I was in a car. It was outside a car. You know, it was mm-hmm. I wasn't in close proximity. Um, but it, the scariest thing for me is the idea that it can interact in any way, positively or negatively, because that takes it out of the realm of controllable animals. Uh, I, I like for my animals to be predictable, mm-hmm. and this thing is totally not. Not at all, eh? That's pretty scary. You're listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland. Any chance it could be some form of angel, what we would call an angel? That actually has been discussed, especially since it tends to appear just before a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, now, kind that's not the only time, but frequently it will appear just before disaster. There's a report out of Chernobyl that Mothman appeared right before the plant melted down. Really? Yeah, and uh, there are people who say that there was something seen right before the World Trade Center collapses. Um, That has yet to be documented. We're not entirely positive that that's a for real thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But certainly he was seen in the 13 months prior to the bridge collapse in Point Pleasant. Uh, And it may be that that's where the idea that it's related to disaster comes from. That could be very, very... You know, I have heard that 
it was seen before 9-11. I can't remember where I did read that. You know, we had Phil Spencer on. We were talking about Bigfoot going, geez, all the way back to March. Time flies, I tell you. 2010 already. Anyways, he was saying that uh, with Bigfoot, there's always a smell or the indigenous wildlife around whenever Bigfoot is about to appear goes silent. Is there something along the same parallels that happens with Mothman? Sort of. There seems to be a lot of electrical interference. Mm. Uh, radios and TVs go a little wonky. Um, in fact, the sheriff that re- responded to the sighting back mm-hmm. in the 60s, when he turned on his radio to make a report, there was nothing but you know static and, and terrible noises out of it, and he kind of freaked out and turned it back off. Um, so there, there seems to be that associated with it, which tends to lead us more towards an ET kind of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, this has really been a stumper for the paranormal community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, nobody in the scientific community is taking it very seriously, as is their want to do. Um, but, yeah, there's got to be some kind of electrical something around this mm. um, because of the consistent reports of interference. Yeah, we often hear that associated with ghost sightings as well. There's always some kind of interference or something. I'm hearkened also to think of shadow people with the darkness and everything, and I wonder if that could be some form of it also. Certainly this is a creature that's unique unto itself. How they reproduce, I'm not quite sure either. Any speculation on where they would live and what they would eat to sustain themselves? I don't have a clue, to be perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. I would guess that they are carnivorous. Mm -hmm. Um, There were several uh, animals found dead around the time of the sightings in quite unusual ways, much like the chupacabra stories where Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the blood was sucked out and the carcass left. Um, And that would lead me to believe there's a carnivorous element. Um, But because they're just not seen, it could be that they're just omnivores. They eat whatever is available uh, and... You know, whether that be in the forest or in an urban area out of the trash. We don't just see them in rural areas. They show up everywhere. Now, are they always seen alone or do they, or yeah. is it always alone? Always alone. Huh. Uh, without any variation of that, which is fairly unusual as well. Yeah. Um, at just about every other thing I can think of, even Bigfoot, you sometimes get reports mm-hmm. of more than one. That's right. But it, with Mothman, it's only been one at a time. One at a time. I'm just trying to speculate on this creature. Folks, if you're just joining us, we're speaking with a Mothman expert. Robert Bellamy is joining us from Toronto tonight. We're speaking about the Mothman. Of course, the Mothman Prophecies was the movie that Richard Gere was in several several years ago. And we're just trying to speculate on this creature. Uh, he is always seen alone, as we've just found out. It is presumed that he is male. He has wings. He can fly. And he just doesn't really take off like Superman does. He just flies straight up in the air, and that's it. He's gone. We're bouncing all kinds of ideas around, whether he could be an E.T., an interdimensional traveler. I want to come back to the legend. What is the earliest that we pick up the story of Mothman? Now, you, you said there's pictures of him in prehistoric times. Is there anything written down, perhaps, around the time of Christ or something like that? You know, we always hearken back to when Christ was born, that there was the Star of Bethlehem and uh, the Magi knew. Is there any legend that might be out there about the Mothman around that time? Not to my knowledge. Um, But then again, most people wouldn't correlate the two because it's not generally thought of as a disaster. Ah, Um, yes. 
Yes, yes. I, I know that mm. there are legends in the Oriental cultures about man birds uh, that would certainly date back into that time period, mm -hmm. um, but certainly nothing directly connected with Bethlehem or the area. Or the area at all. I'm thinking of Bram Stoker now, vampires. I wonder if that... You have a strange imagination. I thought, did you hear the song at the beginning? <laughs> <laughs> Rest my case. Look at the show I'm doing. Hello. <laughs> what do you do in the middle of the night? Well, I talk about vampires and I talk about Mothman. Yeah. You're listening to Night Fright. Your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Collins. I'm, you know, I, I'm fascinated with this creature because um, it's a creature that, like Bigfoot, is a legend. And one part of me wants to see this thing and find out that it's real and document that somehow. And the other part of me says, let's keep it a legend. Let's keep the mystery going because that's a fascination for me also. Have people actually hunted this thing to try and... Because there are people out there that hunt Bigfoot and try and bring back pictures or people who even shot at Bigfoot and try to bring him back. Have people done the same type of thing with Mothman? Yes, very much so. Uh, in fact, every year there's a festival in Point Pleasant mm -hmm. um, and folks get together and talk about what happened. And very, very often groups will go into the TNT area We'll mm -hmm. talk about that in a minute, but this is where Mothman was sighted, and they'll go in and, and spend the night and camp out and just wait. Uh, night, night vision cameras, the whole nine yards, hoping that he'll make an appearance again. But nobody wants to shoot him, is, is what I'm trying to say. Not in modern times. Um, certainly back in the 60s, mm. when he was such a, a fearful thing, um, there were people who were ready to go kill. Um, but I think in modern times... Pretty much we know better. Thank God for that. You know, the, the government has documentation of UFOs, um, unidentified flying objects. They don't say they're extraterrestrial or anything like that. Is there any documentation the same way of the Mothman from the government? Only in police reports. Well, that's um, official are, documents. Are, are, right. Um, but they're basically still just witness accounts. Um, I don't think any government agency has really looked very seriously into this, mm. which is unfortunate because if the funding was there, maybe we'd know something by now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Makes perfect sense, actually. We're coming up to the bottom of the hour. I have to do a break, but I want you to stay with me during the break. What I do is I just read out the call letters of all the stations that are broadcasting the show. When we come back, though, I want to ask you some more about the Mothman legend and... Um, what you thought of the movie specifically and where the movie falls short and perhaps where the movie is a little bit more accurate than you thought they would portray it. Fair enough? Fair enough. Okay. Folks, if you're like me, I am riveted to this chair tonight. I'm having a blast. Robin Bellamy is our guest. She's an expert on the Mothman. The Mothman prophecies, to be precise. Now, the Mothman, as we've been discussing, is this legendary creature in much the same way that Bigfoot is a legendary creature that many people have seen. Now, he only appears just prior to disasters. And this is what the movie depicts that we've been talking about, the Mothman Prophecies with Richard Gere. Get it at Blockbuster or any available video store. It's a, it's a, I was going to call it a mystical creature, but I, <laughs> I'm going to hesitate on that for now. It's really an interesting creature in the fact that he does only 
appear prior to disasters and uh, kind of a warning and we're going to go into that afterwards. Right now, folks, I just want to let you know, you are listening to Night Fright. I'm your host, Brent Holland. We're broadcasting tonight out of CKLU 96.7 FM, Laurentian University in Sudbury, beautiful Sudbury, where it has gotten warmer. It's balmy out there. I was considering a swim. It's minus 8 from minus 20. That's a big deal for us. <laughs> 10 p.m. to midnight. I want to say hi to Deborah Frankel. A very special hello to Deborah Frankel. Uh, good to see you today, Deborah. And uh, thanks so much for finding the money. Every week she finds the money for this volunteer radio show um, to pay for phone calls, to pay for this, to pay for that, microphones, etc., etc. And I do want to thank her and wish her a happy new year. You're also listening to Caper Radio at Cape Breton University in Sydney, Nova Scotia, God's country, as my grandfather used to say, who was a maritimer from the rock. Wednesdays, 3.30 to 5.30 in the afternoon. I want to say hi and happy new year to my good buddy, Matthew Burke, Jason Wellwood, just up the road a ways at Lakehead University in Thunder Bay, where they listen every night between midnight Two in the morning. Their call letters are CILU 102.7 FM, CJMQ 88.9 FM, the voice of the Eastern Townships in Sherbrooke, Quebec, one hour south of my old hometown of Montreal. And if you're listening right now, I want to say merci beaucoup, visit Trangentil, and Happy New Year, one and all. They broadcast every Saturday between 10 p.m. and midnight. Hey, David Teasdale, hope things are well with you. CJUM 101.5 FM, University of Manitoba, Winnipeg, Manitoba. Wednesday nights, Thursday mornings, 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. I want to say hi to Jared McKittyak. Sound FM 100.3 FM, University of Waterloo and Waterloo, Ontario. Sunday nights, Monday mornings, three shows back-to-back, 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. Hey, Road Dog, Happy New Year. Hope all is well with you and you had a great holiday. CKXU 88.3 FM at the University of Lethbridge, Lethbridge, Alberta. Friday nights at midnight. I want to say hi to Alan Gillespie, Amos Evans, who's over at CIVL 88.7 FM, University of the Fra- Fraser Valley in Abbotsford, British Columbia. Beautiful British Columbia. And you know what's coming up in British Columbia in a few weeks? The Olympics. Thursdays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. and Friday mornings at 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. CFAD 92.1 FM, Salamo Radio in Salamo and Ymir, British Columbia, Saturday evening. 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. I want to say hi to the Hutch, Gerald Hutchman. Christopher Earle is over at CFUR 88.7 FM, University of Northern British Columbia, Prince George, British Columbia, Friday nights, Saturday mornings, 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. Kurt Wetmore is at CFXU 93.3 FM, St. Francis Xavier University in Antikonish, Nova Scotia, and they broadcast every Saturday evening, 10 p.m. to midnight. You're listening to Night Fright. Your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland. I want to point you to the Night Fright website, www.nightfrightshow.com, www.nightfrightshow.com. Once you're there, click on the archive button. There are shows there for you to download on Bigfoot, the Kennedy assassination, both Kennedy assassinations, Martin Luther King. There's shows there on Canada's Roswell. Stanton Friedman's been on. All those shows are there for you to download free. 
No charge at all for any of this stuff, folks. Just download them, put them on your iPod. Uh, you're off on the bus going to university. Great thing to listen to. You're taking a card ride up to the cottage or into the cottage. Another great thing to listen to. Truckers love this stuff when they're going across the Trans-Canada or the 401. And um, they download this stuff big time and listen to it. It's a wealth of information. Get your brain thinking and entertain you at the same time. You know, Robin's show, we're talking with Robin Bellamy today. That'll be on the archives next week. And they'd be able to download that show as well for free and learn all about the, the Mothman. All those shows, as I said before, are there for you to download for free. www.nightfrightshow.com www.nightfrightshow.com I just want to say coming up in a few weeks' time, on January 27th, we've got none other than Peter Aykroyd coming on. Peter Aykroyd's the dad of Dan Aykroyd, Canadian icon. He's got a new book out, and he's going to be coming on talking about that. And um, he's going to tell us why growing up in a haunted house, how Dan was inspired to write Ghostbusters. So that's going to be a hoot. That's hour number one. Hour number two, we've got a Canadian legend coming on, John Robert Colombo, Order of Canada winner, and you've seen his books everywhere. Big book of Canadian hauntings, uh, UFOs. Whenever you see the big book of, that's John Robert Colombo. Incredible, incredible storyteller. He'll be here as well for the second hour, January 27th. You're listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland. Right now, we're speaking with Robert Bellamy and we're discussing the Mothman prophecies. And just before the break, I had asked Robin what she thought of the movie that was out several years ago, where they fell short and where perhaps they were very accurate and more accurate than what she thought. What was your opinion of the movie, Robin? Well, I'm going to interrupt you for a minute and talk about your show coming up. I've met uh, Peter Aykroyd and John Robert Colombo, and they are fabulous people. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, you know what? I'm so going to listen to that show. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Okay. Um, and, and the book is terrific. I consider it the textbook on um, all things paranormal. That's wonderful. That's anyway, good. oh, and one more thing, since yes. you are coast to coast, mm -hmm. uh, the organization that I work with is called PSYCAN, Paranormal Studies and Investigations Canada, mm -hmm. and we have outlets and affiliates coast to coast in Canada, and highly encourage all of your listeners to send in their stories, uh, and it's at PSICAN.org. Okay. Um, now... Go, okay, I, I just want to interrupt you now, just to let <laughs> folks know the uh, the link to that is on the www.nightfrightshow website. And uh, I actually was going to talk to you about SciCan in the next hour, but if you want to do it now, we can do that now. It's up to you. We'll leave it no, up to we'll you. No, we'll do it next hour. I just wanted to make sure it got there. Okay, no problem. No problem at all. Let's talk about that film. What did you think? I was mortified, to be perfectly honest. Uh, Hollywood. Uh, there are several reasons for that. First of all, because I'm a local, and they did virtually none of the filming locally. It was filmed in Pennsylvania, primarily because it was there was more access to uh, technicians and things in Pittsburgh. Um, there aren't a mm -hmm. lot of, as you can imagine, film technicians in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Um, 
So that that was kind of a bummer. We had all kind of looked forward to having media crews and, mm-hmm. and things like that. But I think probably what struck me the funniest was that they made the sheriff into a woman. Uh, I, I can guarantee you that the sheriff at the time did not have an affair with John Keel. <laughs> uh, I'm sure his wife would be very distra- distraught if she heard that he did. Um, and, and, you know, I realized that there has to be a lot of leeway for cinema. Mm-hmm. And, and that's all fine and dandy. So, okay, I can I can forgive that. But mm-hmm. they didn't even get the number of people who died in the tragedy correct. Oh, and, and that just broke my heart because yeah. this was such a such a local loss. Um, so many people that died that day were family and friends mm-hmm. of people still living, and, and it's just it's just sad that they couldn't even get that right. You're listening to Night Fright. Your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland. Can you describe what happened that day for the folks that are just joining us? Uh, It was uh, shortly before Christmas, and the bridge was the major connection between Ohio and West Virginia at that point. Um, U.S. Interstate 35, well, it wasn't really an interstate at that point, but the, the, the major road um, crossed that bridge, and it was a, an east-west route for trucks and, and long-term travelers. Um, and there was a malfunction of the stoplights. For whatever reason, the stoplights were both red, one at each end of the bridge, uh, trapping people completely on the bridge. It was full, bumper to bumper. Uh, it was kind of the rush hour. It's a, a very big um, electric and steel plant kind of place, so a lot of people work uh, until 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So they were commuting back home at this time. Also, there were a lot of Christmas shoppers. And very suddenly, the bridge started to shift and turn and fell into the water, uh, the icy cold December River, uh, and 46 people lost their lives. Mm. Uh, two of the bodies were never found, uh, and, and it, it just really rocked the community. I'm sure nobody would question it would. What was the official cause of the bridge collapse? Officially, there, the bridge was connected by a construction they called I-bars. Um, these are kind of shaped like a paper clip and have a little knob in the end, and they just kind of connect together like a chain. Mm-hmm. Um, this construction is not used for bridges anymore. When the bridge fell, all the other bridges that were built like that were closed uh, because it was deemed so dangerous. But what happened was this number 13 I-bar broke, and that caused the fatal structure mm-hmm. failure. And uh, it just came loose and fell down. Completely fell down like that. Unbelievable. Eh? 46 people. My God. How many survived? I don't know. That's a good question. I was just curious. Uh, I, uh, I would assume that the ones closest to the ends of the bridge did. Mm-hmm. Um, and because everybody was stationary, there wasn't that element of driving off of it. I see. Um, now, when, I, it was it was horrific. It was just horrific. Now, when Mothman appeared, because he always appears before a disaster, was there any inclination from him that it would be the bridge? Um, sort of. And I know you're tired of these kinds of answers when it comes to the paranormal. No, that's uh, fine. People, Go ahead. One of the people who reported heavily on 
Mothman. Her name was Mary Heyer, and she was the local string reporter for AP and carried all of the local news to the national networks and stuff. And she had been reporting on Mothman. And she had a, a, an extremely precognitive dream hmm. uh, where she saw people in the water and presents floating. And this was actually the best part of the movie. That was depicted quite accurately was her dream. Um and that quite literally is what happened. There were bodies and wreckage and, and presents floating on the top of the river. Um, and there are some who think that because of the increase in precognitive dreams at that time, mm -hmm. that's related to Mothman. There was something there for sure, without question. Any speculation uh, yourself? I don't know. I know that Point Pleasant, mm -hmm. at least as far as documented history, going back to the 1700s, has been a highly unusual place. Um, there have been curses, there have been tragedies, there have been UFO sightings, continue to be UFO sightings. Mm -hmm. The Ohio River Valley is a hotbed for UFO experiences. Um, it's, a, it's a very big ghost kind of place. There's a hotel mm -hmm. in the town that has at least three documentable ghosts. Um, so it's almost like, and I hate this word, but it's almost like a vortex. Ah, there is yeah. something that the locals call a triangle uh, that is from Athens, Ohio, mm -hmm. well, actually Vinton County, Ohio, to Point Pleasant to Marietta, Ohio. Uh, and in that triangle, a lot of really weird stuff goes on. Um, some people tend to tend to think it's like witchcraft and stuff like that, but typically it's it's ghosts and, and UFOs and poltergeists and things like that. Uh, let's face it, the people down there are pretty weird. <laughs> I don't know if they're any more weirder than, than anybody anywhere else in the world. But, oh, uh, I don't know. I was born there, and I'm telling you, these people are weird. Aha, uh -huh. okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's a big German influence, um, mm -hmm. and you, you know about doppelgangers, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of that kind of thing that happens in that area. Interesting. Uh, a lot of old, old superstitions and legends. Um, population, white population in that area started uh, right around 1800, probably, and these were largely Pennsylvania Germans that came and settled there. I see. You're listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host... Brent Holland. Is that around when they started documenting Mothman? Uh, no. Not in that either. area, I mean, in that area. Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely the same area. Um, mm -hmm. Probably the earliest actual witness report out of that area is probably late 1800s. Hmm. Uh, and then, of course, it wasn't called Mothman back then. It was just this weird thing that somebody saw. Um, Did they bring that folklore, that legend, with them when they came from Germany? I think it's possible. Mm -hmm. uh, also because of the, the something called the Cornstalk's Curse. Oh, what's Cornstalk, that? He was an uh, Indian chief, and his family... Some of his oldest sons were involved in a skirmish with the uh, then British troops mm -hmm. and were jailed at a fort in Point Pleasant and subsequently died. And Cornstalk said that the area would suffer 200 years of a curse. Uh, and this is extremely interesting because 
Um, and as a way of, to make amends, I guess, many, many, many decades later, they erected a monument over where his remains were buried. That monument was struck by lightning not once but twice. Um, I mean, two completely separate occurrences years apart. And then when they built the new courthouse and jail, mm -hmm. they moved his remains and built a new monument into a park down at the river confluence, and it was again struck by lightning. Uh, and, and that's that's just, I don't know about you, but I just think that's weird. Yeah, I just got goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, I did too, even Holy telling you the story. Holy uh, also, the first ghost report yeah. comes out of the Cornstalk legend, that being that um, there was a, a Indian woman, young woman, who was being courted by both of Cornstalk's sons, mm -hmm. and when her, when they were killed in the skirmish, she killed herself and then haunts the area. Uh, and that, that's probably local legend, but it's interesting that it comes at the same time. Absolutely. Now, you had mentioned First Nations, um, American Indians. Is there any legend that's associated with Mothman from their oral histories? Um, not necessarily. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that the area was never inhabited by the natives. Whoa. They used it only as hunting grounds. They really? would not build their towns there. Nobody really knows why, just that all around the area, oh. there are, there's lots of evidence. You know, for instance, central Ohio has mm -hmm. many, many, even um, Adena peoples settled in that area. North of Point Pleasant in the Pittsburgh, Wheeling, West Virginia area, lots of mound builders, lots of Iroquois mm -hmm. influence. Mm -hmm. um, certainly in the south, there's lots of Cherokee and things like that. But in that particular area, no natives were, were settling. Uh, and and given the nature of you know traveling and living where you mm. have to eat, that that's quite unusual. Absolutely, I'm. Uh, the area is rich in that. minerals and and mm. wonderful farmland, and it's just never never blossomed. It you know that's bizarre in itself. Absolutely bizarre. You're listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time. Is now and now your host, Brent Holland. Folks, if you're just joining us, we're speaking with Robin Bellamy. Robin Bellamy is a Mothman expert. She's also involved with Paranormal Studies and Investigation Canada, PSI Can, as they're called. If you go to the www.nightfrightshow.com website, if you click on Robin's name, it's highlighted in blue and underlined, that'll take you to her site. If you have stories and or sightings of Mothman or anything you want to share of the paranormal essence, please do email her or you can email me at Night Fright Show and I'll make sure that Robin receives them. I'll pass them along. No problem whatsoever. Now, the Mothman, how the heck did Richard Gere get involved with a movie like this? When I think of Richard Gere, I think of the dancing movie he did uh, several years several years ago with uh, What's-Her-Face. I don't see Richard Gere in a horror film somehow. Any idea how he got involved? Uh, I suspect it's through the director, Mark Pellington. I know that they were uh, friends prior to the movie. I see. Uh, and Richard wasn't exactly cranking out movies at the time. Mm. Uh, so I suspect that Mark got him involved. Uh, there is, uh, speaking of Mark Pellington, mm -hmm. there is something called the Mothman Death List. And this is something that Lauren Coleman, who is a renowned cryptozoologist, has put together. It is a list of people who have died very 
early or very unnaturally who are associated with Mothman. Uh, and Mark Pellington's wife actually died of a brain tumor uh, after the Mothman movie was made. And if you've seen the movie, you know that the the character who is the composite John Keel type character, mm-hmm. his wife also dies of a brain tumor. Uh, so that was that was kind of chilling that those oh, yeah. two things were so coincidental. It's kind of like the movie uh, The Exorcist. There were so many weird things that happened on that set also. Right. Much along the same line. Oh, that's creepy. It makes you want to stay away from horror films if you're a producer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> stay right clear of it. Now, how did you get involved with Mothman? Because you were born in that area? Yes and no. Um, I, I witnessed what I now know to be Mothman when I was about 10 uh, in the Ravens of West Virginia area. We were driving south along the river, and he was standing off to my right, sort of in a ditch along a railroad track. And at the time, I just thought it was a guy in a wetsuit. Uh, of course, when you're you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, you really don't have a frame of reference for those sorts of things. And it wasn't until... Oh, probably the mid-90s. Somebody put a copy of The Mothman Prophecies in my hands and said, you really need to read this book. And what what that book is, besides being the basis for that movie, is a very, very vivid account of what was happening at the time. John Keel was actually in the Point Pleasant area when all of this was going on and was able to give a first-hand account of what what was happening culturally, uh, what kind of things were being reported, uh, and I, it just floored me. It, it, I, I was surprised that anybody else knew, actually. Hmm. Um, my family, to this day, refuses to talk about Mothman. Really? I, I don't know if that's because they're afraid or because of the, the bridge tragedy is still so fresh for them. Hmm. Uh, that they, they won't even come and hear me speak at the Mothman Festival. Wow. Now, listen, I didn't realize you'd seen a Mothman 10 years old um, while traveling traveling in the car. Did you notify your mom or dad in the front seat that, hey, look out the window? I don't remember doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, If I did, I'm sure they just kind of ignored me. Mm. Uh, I was one of those precocious little children who liked to talk about everything, whether my parents liked to talk about it or not. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, I'm still kind of like that. Um, I did. I did. Oh God! And, and it's they're they're very very pronounced. Mm. Um, they're very bright red. Uh, not like I don't even know how to explain it. It's not like a reflector. Um, the the light comes from inside of the eyes, almost like a beam of light. Oh, isn't that and, interesting? And, and my sighting was in the daytime, which is also fairly unusual. Uh, and that was even apparent. You know, in the in broad daylight. Was the Mothman aware that you saw him? I think he was. Uh, I felt that our, our eyes made contact. Uh, and certainly other reports, he's he's very much aware uh, that that he's making other people aware of his presence. Hmm. Um, one of the cases in Point Pleasant in the 60s was that the, the people got afraid and got in their car and drove away, and he followed them and would fly right alongside and look in the window. Yeah, can you imagine? And, then, you know, they're driving 100 miles an hour. Listen, i got to drive home alone tonight. 
Oh, I wouldn't. <laughs> I'd be finding a hotel room. <laughs> There's this creepy little road and every, oh, right by the lake. And, and no, 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 no. Anyways, um, what is it you want to find out about Mothman? Why are you continuing your investigation? Is there something I, specific you want to find out? I just want to prove to everybody who says he doesn't exist that he does. Hmm. Um, I have a real big problem with people who refuse to accept the possibility of anything. Mm-hmm, me too. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if it doesn't exist, that's fine. I'm open to that too. But I want to know what's happening. I want to know what's causing everybody to see this thing. Uh, and why some people see it and others don't. Mm-hmm. Certainly in mass sightings like it happened in Point Pleasant, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of different kinds of people saw it and there's no question of whether you have to be psychic or whatever to see this thing. Um, but certainly there are places that some people see him and some people don't. Um, whereas with a crop circle, you've got tangible yeah, evidence right that there. something did happen. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a hoax, there's that tangible evidence. Has there ever been a case where somebody where two people are standing side by side and one sees the Mothman and the other one doesn't? Because I know in the paranormal realm, sometimes that happens, especially with kids, where kids are very receptible to seeing ghosts or things that we kind of shut out because of our age. It's my understanding that that's never happened with Mothman. Okay. Um, that he's been, when he's arrived, he's always mm-hmm. invisible. Hmm. Um, I guess that that would be a lot more like a Bigfoot. You mm-hmm. certainly don't miss Bigfoot if he's around. Is there a smell associated? No, but there is a screech. Um, oh. He, he makes a really high-pitched... You know the sound that a mouse makes? Sure. Uh, it, it's prolonged, but in that same tone. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's like a like a shriek, almost. That's really fascinating uh, that he does have a sound. Now, was there any, you know, he appeared to you. Was there any disaster or minor disaster that occurred, perhaps even a fender bender accident or anything like that afterwards? Not that I recall. Okay. Um, Thank God. But then, you know, it was the 60s, and I'm far removed from that now. <laughs> I, I'm not 10 anymore. <laughs> You and me both. <laughs> oh, man. That's fascinating. Um, I'm just trying to get a feel for this uh, this mystical, or I keep calling to call him a mystical creature, but he's more of a legend than a mystical creature. I'm trying to figure out how he could be related to uh, Bigfoot, the abominable snowman, and all these other legendary creatures in the same way that it could be a moose or something like that. But this thing flies, and it actually has intent. And red eyes, because I've never... When the West Virginia um, University people came down to investigate, they decided it was something called a sandhill crane. What the heck is Which is fairly common to the area. However, a sandhill crane only gets about four feet tall and is very clearly a bird. Hmm. Um, So everybody in the area kind of went, you're kidding, right? You you don't really (laughs) think that's what it is. Um. Everybody right. always tries to default to a traditional excuse for these exactly. things. Exactly. You know, yeah. what are you so afraid of that you can't tell the truth? Exactly. What's so um, explosive? Yeah. But one of the one of the issues here is that where this thing was sited is an old ammunition factory hmm. place. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was one of the big cleanup sites in the in the disaster fund a couple of decades ago in the U.S. Um, it was a a World War II weapons production facility. 
they bought up a bunch of farmland Mm -hmm. and built these things they call igloos, which are little round domes that you can't see from the air. Um, They're they're built to blend in with the terrain, Mm -hmm. and they stored weapons in there. Uh, And then after that closed, it became home to several chemical plants Mm -hmm. and their associated spills. Mm. Uh, There are still places back in the area, which is now a wildlife refuge, um, that you can go back in there and still find these, like, small lakes that glow in the dark because mm-hmm. they're still full of chemicals. Uh, the whole area is really very strange, uh, even if you're only there to look around. Even in the daytime, this place is strange. Sounds very uh, but people creepy. People live out there, too, and, and report nothing. So it's kind of hard to say, you know, what is the nature of this thing? I tend to go with the idea that it's some kind of a biological, zoological creature only because, well, I don't have a because. I, that's just my gut. My gut tells me that it's it's not an alien. It's not um, a ghost. It's not something like that. Uh, I guess because I've seen it. Mm-hmm, and because mm-hmm. so many people have seen it, and it's not legend to me. Okay, fair enough. Folks, if you're just joining us, we are speaking with Robert Bellamy. Robin Bellamy is, um, well, for, for lack of a better term, she's a Mothman expert. She also is a member of the Paranormal Studies and Investigations Canada group, SICAN. Uh, P.S.I. can. And uh, easy way to get to that website, if you have any stories to share with Robin, is just go to the www.nightfrightshow.com website. Click on Robin's name, that'll take you right to her website, and you can get in contact with her there. She is also a teacher of a ghost research course for the Toronto District School Board in Toronto. When we come back from this break, we're going to take a break right now, folks. I want to ask her about that course, and I also want to delve into SICAN because I've heard good things about this place. So I want to find out what kind of great work they do. And I also want to find out about this course. What a great idea. You're listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland. Right now, folks, you're listening to CKLU 96.7 FM on your FM dial in beautiful Sudbury, Laurentian University, where we broadcast from 10 p.m. to midnight. Caper Radio, Cape Breton University, Sydney, Nova Scotia, Wednesdays from 3.30 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. CILU 102.7 FM, Lakehead University in Thunder Bay, Sunday nights at midnight. And if you're listening right now, it's a great time to listen to this type of programming. And I want to thank everybody who's listening right now. Right now for making Night Fright the number one Canadian-based show of its genre right across the country. Um, I want to thank you all for listening and making us that. That's uh, quite an achievement for a volunteer show with no money, and I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. That's terrific. CJMQ 88.9 FM, the voice of the Eastern Townships in Sherbrooke, Quebec, where they broadcast Saturdays from 10 p.m. to midnight. CJUM 101.5 FM, University of Manitoba, another beautiful campus. All these great, beautiful campuses here in Canada. University of Manitoba, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Wednesday nights, Thursday mornings, 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. 
AM. Sound FM 100.3, my buddy Road Dog. University of Waterloo, Waterloo, Ontario. Sunday nights, Monday mornings, three shows back-to-back, 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. CKXU 88.3 FM, the University of Lethbridge in Lethbridge, Alberta. Friday nights at midnight to 2 a.m. CIVL 88.7 FM, University of the Fraser Valley in Abbotsford, British Columbia. Thursdays from 2 p.m. to Friday and Friday mornings at 2 a.m. CFAD 92.1 FM in Salamo and Ymir, British Columbia. Salamo Radio, Saturday evenings from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. You know, it's great to listen to this type of programming in the middle of the night, isn't it, folks? CFUR 88.7 FM, University of Northern British Columbia and Prince George, British Columbia. And don't look out the window right now for fear of seeing two red eyes. Friday nights, Saturday mornings, 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. I told you not to look. CFXU 93.3 FM, St. Francis Xavier University in Antigonish, Nova Scotia. Saturday evenings, 10 p.m. to midnight. You're listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host... We want to direct you once again to the Night Fright website for several reasons. www.nightfrightshow.com www.nightfrightshow.com First reason is our guest tonight, Robin Bellamy, is a member of Paranormal Studies and Investigations Canada. An easy way to get information from Robin to get in contact with her is just click on her underline highlighted in blue right on the website uh, name that'll take you right to her website and uh, you can send her any information or get in contact with her for any reasons whatsoever another great reason too uh, is the archives there's a whole series we did on haunted halloween uh throughout the month of um, October. And uh, we had uh, Dr. Robert Stone was on talking about serial killers. And he is the host, of course, of Discovery Channel's Most Evil. And we talked at length about Bernardo and Carla Homoka. And I'd actually ran into Carla Homoka in NDG in Montreal when I was living there. She had been released from prison at that time and was very pregnant. What a disaster. Oh, my God. Anyways, all I have to say is that show is there for you to download for free. Keep the lights on for that one, because that was really creepy. That really creeped me out, that show. He was a terrific guest, by the way. We talked at length about what makes a serial killer tick and the fact that there's, right now, a very good chance that there's at least a couple of hundred out there right now. And that's what creeped me out, is the fact that these creatures are, and I call them creatures on purpose, are still out there. There are shows on the Kennedy assassination. We had a wonderful guest on, Abraham Bolden, first African-American Secret Service agent, handpicked by JFK himself. Tells incredible personal stories about how he protected JFK, uh, how he protected um, JFK's family, Carolyn and uh, Jackie. What happened to him after the assassination? He was not on duty that day. And to this day, he blames himself. He said, well, I asked him point blank. I said, would you have taken the bullet? He said in a heartbeat. And he said, if only I was on duty that day, the president would be alive today. He blew the whistle on the Secret Service. Uh, he claimed that they were all drunk. And as it turned out, they were. And you know, when you're hungover, eh, folks, you don't quite, you know, 
you're just not there. You're just not snappy. You're, and it's very obvious when you see the Zapruder film that the Secret Service was just not happening. That they they should have reacted at the first shot and they didn't. Anyways, he was a whistleblower after, and um, he was threatened. His wife was threatened. He was thrown in jail for a crime he didn't commit. Incredible story. Now, there is talk of a feature film being made about his life, and Will Smith will star as him. And I'm so happy for him if that comes through because this is a man that has sacrificed his whole life for truth and uh, he certainly deserves some form of recognition for that first african-american secret service agent handpicked by jfk terrific story all those shows are there for you folks to download for free just to let you know www.nightfrightshow.com www.nightfrightshow.com you're listening to night fright your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland. We're speaking with Robin Bellamy tonight. Robin Bellamy uh, speaks yearly at the Mothman Festival in Point Pleasant, uh, West Virginia, as I get my merds mixed. She recently appeared on Sci-Fi Investigates and does regular interviews for radio and television. Robin also teaches, and this is where we're going to go right now, a ghost research course. Isn't this fascinating? For the Toronto District School Board in Toronto, Ontario. I want to also ask her about SICAN, which is Paranormal Studies and Investigations Canada, of which she is a member. Can we start off with SICAN, Robin? Sure. I could talk forever on SICAN. Oh, let's go. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) What type of work? Go ahead. Give us an overview. SICAN started as a little organization called Toronto Ghosts and Hauntings Research Society. Mm -hmm. Um, very well respected. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Absolutely. John Robert um, Colombo, uh, highly recommended. Highly oh, recommended. He's, he's been such a good friend to us. Um, shares his research with us regularly. He's just wonderful. Oh, he's a super nice guy. I really and like that funny. guy. Oh, you're going to have a oh, ball yeah. with him. Oh, yeah. The second time he's going to be on the show. Ah. Yeah, he was, he's terrific. Unfortunately, um, he came on the show right at the inception of the show when we weren't broadcasting or recording any shows. Oh, no. Yeah, so I don't have that show. So, I, I you know, it, the first year or so, that well, this show's only been on a year and a half, but the first, we started in July, and it was only until uh, the October that we started recording the shows because that's when we broadcast it over the Internet. Before that, we weren't doing anything over the Internet, no way to record the shows. So all I have to say is a bunch of good shows were lost, unfortunately. Oh. Anyway, Psycan. Psycan. After Toronto Ghosts, we expanded to Ontario Ghosts. Um, and included a another group called Paranormal Researchers of Ontario. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all three of those groups were also affiliated with several others very, very loosely. Um, we all kind of subscribed to the same research techniques and the same belief systems. Uh, and then we decided that we needed to kind of amalgamate. Uh, we needed to have in Canada at the risk of tooting our own horn, kind of a a premier, legitimate, organized group that kind of works together and shares information amongst everybody else and and keeps a database and and does all of those things. So with the the BC Ghosts and Hauntings group, uh, clear out to... um, their initials are P-E-I-G-H-S. I don't remember what all of the words are, but they're on the East Coast. Uh, and everywhere in between, we have a group that falls under the SICAN heading. Um, and SICAN has been petitioning to become
become a charity, but Ottawa's not liking that very much right now. So we're going to keep trying. Um, they, they don't really understand that we're actually doing this as a scientific research organization and as an educational organization uh, rather than just a hobby. Mm-hmm. It is a volunteer group. Um, in fact, I'm the only person who actually is a professional paranormal researcher. Everybody else has a real job. <laughs> uh, but uh, hopefully we're, we're going to get that from from the government and we can start soliciting grants and doing some um, real research. Do you feel there's a lot of stigma coming from Ottawa and perhaps the public in, gen- in general towards you? Um, I, I would think, I think it would be the... Ex- community in general has that. Really? Because eh? I, oh. I would feel it would be the exact opposite. There's so many paranormal shows on television right now. Um, it's almost blending credibility, or do you feel that's not the case? I think actually it's the opposite. Hmm. Interesting. I think that they're so, they're so sensationalized and so hard to believe, um, and, and because they fake things so much, oh. and then are discovered later. And that, that kind of makes everybody go, oh, wow, if it's not real, then everybody's not real. Uh, and that, that's frustrating for us. Uh, the idea that every ghost is a demon or that every person has psychic abilities or whatever, th- those things really are, do a disservice to the study because, let's face it, if everybody could do it, it wouldn't be so secretive. I guess it's hard for them, too, to discern between real research as opposed to entertainment. And I think there's just a lot of entertainment shows perhaps out there. Well, I think that's largely to protect the audience. Um, they, they don't want to scare anybody. They don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to be liable for anybody doing anything inappropriate. Uh, and this happens among the researchers as well. Uh, we unfortunately lost an affiliate person before we became PSYCHEN. There was a gentleman in western New York who went ghost hunting, for lack of a better word, and was not quite dressed as he should have been and was struck and killed by a car. Oh, God. Uh, and, and these kinds of shows mm-hmm. that encourage urban exploration and things like trespassing uh, have, have really been a problem for the legitimate researchers. I can see where that's a problem, absolutely. I still don't understand why Ottawa wouldn't give you the status of being non-profit, though. I don't understand that at all. But then again, I don't under- understand Ottawa too much these days anyways. You know, that's <laughs> Oh, it's even worse if you're an American, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, Team Canada, Team USA won last night, I should say. And we're, and we're still reeling from that, actually. We're And, and because I, I'm an American living in Canada, mm. I don't know who to cheer for. Mm. And, and I just watched the whole thing going, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, no matter who scored. Good for you. Good for you. It was a great game. It, it really was, was amazing. Really was. And I don't even like hockey. There you go. You know, that was the first <laughs> hockey game I've watched in years, and I really enjoyed it. I thought that it was fast. Couldn't believe how fast it was for uh, juniors. It was oh, yeah. All that to say, can you give us an example of the, some of the cases that you work on without mentioning any names or giving, you know, keeping anonymity, of course? Well, that actually is one of the, the biggest things for us. Mm-hmm. When you make a report to SICAN, uh first of all, you do it online. Okay. It's a form you fill out. Uh, and then if you request it, we forward that form to an investigator in your area, and then you'll talk with them and 
uh, see if it's going to be something you want to pursue as far as more research. Generally, if it's something that happened you know, last year, two years ago as a child, whatever, mm-hmm. it's not something we can actively research uh, uh, for lots yeah. of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but your anonymity is very much respected and protected with Psychan. Uh, and I think that's why so many people are willing to tell us their stories. We don't publish uh, online anything unless we have permission from the witness. And even when we do publish it, we don't include the actual address or the actual names unless they say they want you to. So that still exists because, you know, everybody I've ever spoken to, either on air or off air, has a paranormal story. Uh, whether it be the hair standing up on the back of their neck or a feeling that they're not alone, something. And yet, you know, we still ostracize people for coming forward and telling their stories. Isn't that funny? And, you know, sometimes even as investigators, we get ostracized. We have members who their bosses don't know they work for us Mm -hmm. because they would be ridiculed in the workplace. Ah, gee whiz. Yeah, that it just perplexes me, completely perplexes me, because I'm sure their bosses have had paranormal experiences. Everybody exactly. has, as a human being. You know being. who seems to have the most? Border guards. I am back really? and forth across the border yeah. so much, and uh-huh. they always have a story. No matter when I cross or where, they always have a story to tell me. Can you think of one right now? Oh, it's always Grandma's house. Uh, Grandma always comes back to haunt her house. I don't know why that is exactly, but that that comes up actually quite a bit across the board. Um, Family homes are very, very active haunts. Mm -hmm. Um, I personally think that's because ghosts haunt where they want to be, uh, which is why you don't generally find ghosts in graveyards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's because who wants to hang out there, at a graveyard? There are the occasional reports of, of something in a graveyard, but by and large, it's it's somebody's home, their office, mm-hmm. something like that. And it's because, I mean, let's face it, if you if you come back, you want to come back where you like to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, we have in Toronto, we have a lot of reports out of the high rises now, mm-hmm. um, because people in that business, <laughs> uh, especially <laughs> Bay Street. Uh, are very tied to their jobs, and that generation is starting to pass. Mm-hmm. And we're finding lots of reports coming out of, especially Bay Street offices, where the guys were the type A personalities and never left their jobs, and now they're coming back to haunt them. Interesting. You're listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland. You know, uh, we had Wayne Franks on. Wayne Franks is a Canadian military historian, and he was talking about some of the military sites that he's been around because he's a reenactor also and was just, you know, relaying some of the stories he's heard, like from Gettysburg and places like that. And um, it seems that when there's a traumatic event and people die suddenly, it's like the reminiscence of those people gets stuck without being able to move on. Has that been the case for you? Have you found that also? Sometimes, um, especially in in war kinds of areas. Mm. But we've also found that forts, especially, uh, because they are so deeply ingrained as important to mm-hmm. a soldier, mm-hmm. that may be the reason they're coming back to the fort. Uh, yeah, yeah. Certainly that wouldn't explain the Gettysburg stuff, because that's, that's a whole other ball of wax. Um, but historical repeaters do often show up. Fort York is... Mm-hmm. is infamous for having the historical repeaters, just the guys doing guard duty. 
They're walking around in their uniforms, keeping watch over the place. And it's not necessarily traumatic, but it is an intense emotional connection. Um, so whatever the, the cause for that intensity, that's probably what the connection is. I see. Whether it's trauma or just, you know, an overwhelming sense of love. Has there been any reports that you may be aware of from 9-11 from the, uh, the Twin Towers? Not yet. Too soon, eh? Um, we're also not getting anything from the tsunami victims. Hmm. Um, typically, and this is just a very broad generalization, uh -huh. typically okay. it's about six years on average before we start seeing reports. Um, but that you would you would think that that would be a 9/11 thing, mm. but there's nothing on that site yet. True so perhaps enough. it's not. There's just no availability. You know, there there aren't people milling about, so they're not seeing anything. Mm. It's just blank air. There's no. You're right. There's no building there at all. Interesting. Yeah, that's um, that was a heck of a tragedy, boy. It was. Oh. I visited the memorial site in Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. and. There is an energy there. There is. A I don't know whether it's from the mourners coming and, and leaving residual energy mm -hmm. or from the tragedy itself, but it certainly was very disconcerting, mm. uh, very intense. Even my son, who at, up until that point didn't even know what 9-11 was about because he was only eight, mm -hmm. um, when he, he, re he reacted in such a way that it, the, the intensity was just overwhelming. Mm. Um, and certainly once we told him the story, that was even more so, but... Uh, it, the, the place, just being there, just being within, you know, a few hundred yards of where that plane went down, it just leaves something with you forever. I haven't been to Ground Zero yet. I hope to get there and pay my respects for sure. Psycan, is there any haunted place in Canada that stands out more than another. We had Jeff Belanger on uh, several weeks ago. We were talking about haunted places. Um, he has a book out called Encyclopedia of Haunted Places. And he was saying in the States, it's the White House. I was really? Yeah. Uh, I was surprised, too. He was saying that just about every president that's been there has seen President Lincoln wandering the halls. Well, that's true. That is something that, that recurs. In fact, um, George Bush Sr. Right. Right. Had, had a sighting, too, which is mm -hmm. fairly unusual because he's really not much of a believer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was very strange for him. Little Chelsea, Clinton's daughter, had seen um, Lincoln's son. Lincoln's son had passed away in one of the rooms from Scarlet Fever. Mm -hmm. And apparently, whoever sleeps in that room, there's a little rocker or something in the corner that always rocks. And Chelsea would wake up, and Lincoln's son would be sitting there looking at her. That's kind, oh, of, neat. kind of creepy. <laughs> oh, see, I love that stuff. I, I welcome interaction like that. Really? Eh? Oh, yeah. Oh. How else can I study it? You know, we often get okay. asked if we can yeah. clear a ghost. Yeah. Yes. And Psycan does not do that. For a couple of reasons. First of all, we're not a religious kind of organization. And when you're talking about clearing, you're talking about belief systems. Mm -hmm. And we don't, aside from the research element of that, we don't involve ourselves with a person's belief system in that way. But also, if we were to clear it, we would have nothing to study. Mm. I want your ghost mm -hmm. to stay so I can come back over and over and see what's going on. Now, is there a difference between a ghost and a demon? Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say yes. Okay. Um, because, and this is this is just me. This is not anybody's official word. Okay. I don't believe demons exist. Oh, okay. Um, I think that every 
every ghost has a personality, mm-hmm. and just like there are evil people in the world, certainly there would be evil residual people in the mm. world. Um, I don't think that there is a specific kind of ghost called a demon. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, when I, I guess you listen to EVPs also. Oh, you would be amazed. <laughs> What's always amazed me about EVPs and a dialogue with the other side, as I call it, nobody ever mentions Jesus, Muhammad, uh, Buddha, uh, God. There's no rem- there's no mention of any religious faction whatsoever. That's true. Any- I've never heard any re- any reference to any kind of religious stuff in an EVP ever. Any speculation as to why? Um, no. Okay. Unless it's just not something that's part of the conversation. EVPs mm-hmm. tend to circulate around what the living people are doing. Mm. And quite frequently, the living people aren't necessarily discussing God. So maybe it just doesn't come up. It could be. That sounds like a plausible answer, absolutely, without question. Now, what about your faith? Has being an investigator increased or decreased your faith in any one direction? Uh, actually, no. I am Wiccan. And, oh, okay. And, and by the nature of that means that I get to kind of tailor what I believe to the circumstances. Mm-hmm. And that gives me a lot of freedom. Um, but I am kind of a traditionalist, too. I was raised in the United Methodist Church mm-hmm. very, very deeply. Uh, taught Sunday school, led the choir, that kind of stuff. So a lot of my belief system also runs to miracles and one higher power and that sort of thing. So I'm kind of a hybrid. I see. Uh, and, I, and I think that actually is very helpful for me as an investigator because I don't have to play by rules. You know, I, I don't have to say, oh, this must be an angel or, oh, this must be the hand of God. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily that, that I don't believe that it is. It's just I'm not tied to a belief system that dictates that. A dogma. So it kind of frees my mind and heart up to follow what I really think is happening. You're listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland. Now there's a lot of folks that are listening right now that are going Wiccan. What the heck is a Wiccan? Can you describe what you do? Uh, Wicca is a fairly new religious, although there are some who say it's been around forever. It basically is a pagan religion in that it doesn't believe um, in a specific god per se, but rather a generalized idea of higher power. Mm-hmm. Some people who practice Wicca believe in gods and goddesses as the um, the way to show a belief system. Not that there are tangible gods and goddesses present, but that, that they are represented and we call them that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that through ritual, which is like prayer, uh, you can you can accomplish whatever needs to be accomplished. Okay. The I've... great thing about Wicca is that you can you can believe what you want to believe, and nobody will tell you that it's wrong. Is there um, a temple or a church, for lack of a better term, that you attend with other Wiccans? You can do that. You can develop your own group. I don't. I'm what's called a solitary practitioner. I see. Um, but there are certainly people who believe the same things who flock together to do rituals and things like that. Okay, fair enough. Um, again, and no, we're not naked nearly as much as people think. 
Okay. <laughs> so there's a there's a, a long history of people thinking that witches always perform their their rituals naked, and in Canada, that's really not a smart idea. Oh, no kidding! Eh? <laughs> that's what I tell my honey all the time. Honey, it's cold. It's Canada. Shrinkage. Okay, and uh... <laughs> that's your story, and you're sticking to it. Oh, darn right. <laughs> I have to. <laughs> Folks, we're having a great conversation tonight. Just a terrific conversation with an extremely knowledgeable young woman. Her name is Robin Bellamy, and she is an expert on Mothman. She is a member of SICAN, Paranormal Studies and Investigations Canada. She gives talks yearly at the Mothman Festival in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. She also gives a course. Are you ready for this? She teaches a ghost research course for the Toronto District School Board right here in Toronto, Ontario. Tell us about that course. I think that the Toronto District School Board should get an award for walking out on the wild side with them. No kidding. This is an adult education course. It's a general interest course. Um, it's two hours of lecture on a Wednesday night and then 10 hours on Sunday, no, eight hours on Sunday, um, where we go to places that are traditionally thought to be haunted in the GTA. Hmm. Um, and it's it's just been amazing. We've been doing it about four and a half years, maybe. I think it's about that. Uh-huh. Uh, it runs three times a year, fall, winter, and spring. And there's no no credit assigned or, or um, papers to write or anything like that. It's kind of a fun thing. Uh, but it's based in the proper way to do paranormal research and the thought process that goes along with that documentation and the scientific aspects as, as well? Yes, and a, mm-hmm. a lot of talk about equipment and mm-hmm. the history of why certain equipment is used and why it's not necessarily so believable. Uh, things that we've proven really don't happen, like uh, electromagnetic forces. Um, there is no direct proof that anything paranormal happens in relationship to the electromagnetic force. You see all these people on TV with their little EMF mm-hmm, detectors. Mm-hmm, you know, oh, there must be a ghost because it's <laughs> spiking. Well, you know what? It'll spike in front of a video camera, too. Ah, I see. Um, so we talk about things like that, uh, how sometimes things are very natural and normal and can be misinterpreted in the heat of the moment. We have a, a little thing called an orbiter listening device. Oh, what's that? It's a parabolic dish. Mm-hmm. little one, like a, a plate size, um, on the end of a, a gun handle-looking thing. Okay. And, and believe it or not, you used to be able to get them at Toys R Us, so it's not like a highly intimidating thing. But it, what it does is, is make sound a lot more amplified. Mm. And it looks just amazing. And you, you look so official when you point it at something. But really, all it does is you know, make things sound better. And one of the things we discovered during a case was that a woman had squirrels in her attic. And that's what was making the noises. Yeah. And the reason we found that out was because we had this orbiter listening device and and we could hear them chattering. Uh And and really that's what the study is is largely about, is just taking what's happening and finding out if there's a, a reasonable cause. Let me do this one last break, but when we come back, I want to continue along with your course. I want to discuss several things. And I also want to ask you how you discern between somebody that contacts you that, well, may be mentally ill as opposed to somebody who really does have a concern and a problem. So when we come back, I'm going to ask you about that. You're listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. 
is now. And now your host, Brent Holland. Right now, folks, we're speaking with Robin Bellamy. And Robin Bellamy is a terrific guest. She's very knowledgeable. She's a member of SICAN, Paranormal Studies and Investigations Canada. We're talking about her course that she teaches at the Toronto District School Board in Toronto. And it's a ghost research course. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about that. We've been talking about the Mothman. She's an expert on the Mothman. She speaks at the Mothman Festival in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, every year. Just a great, great, great paranormal guest tonight. You're listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland. You are listening to CKLU 96.7 FM on your FM dial in beautiful Sudbury, Ontario. And we broadcast every 10 Every 10. You can tell I'm trying to multitask, eh? Because <laughs> we have to do everything ourselves, you know? There's no... Uh, it's very glamorous bringing in radio in a community university radio station, folks. Uh, there's no technician. There's no producer like you see on, on the queue on CBC. We are alone, and we have to do everything. 10 p.m. to midnight. I want to say hi to Deborah Franco. Matthew Burke. How you doing over at Cape Radio, Cape Breton University, Sydney, Nova Scotia, CILU 102.7 FM, Lakehead University in Thunder Bay. They broadcast every Sunday night at midnight. I want to say hi to Jason Wellwood, David Teasdale. Salut, mon ami. Salah. Over at The Voice of the Eastern Townships in Sherbrooke, Quebec. And that's CJMQ 88.9 FM. And CJUM 101.5 FM, University of Manitoba, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Wednesday nights, Thursday mornings, 1 a.m. I want to say hi to Jared McKidiak, Road Dog, who's over at Sound FM 100.3 FM, University of Waterloo. In Waterloo, Ontario, Sunday nights, Monday mornings, 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. Three shows back-to-back there, folks. Friday nights at midnight can only be one place. CKXU 88.3 FM, University of Lethbridge, Lethbridge, Alberta. I want to say hi to Alan Gillespie. Amos Evans, my buddy over at CIVL 88.7 FM, University of the Fraser Valley in Abbotsford, British Columbia, where you can listen every Thursday from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. or Friday morning from 2 a.m. to 4 p.m. 4 a.m. CFAD 92.1 FM and Salamo Radio, of course. Salamo and Ymir, British Columbia, Saturday evenings from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Want to say hey to the Hutch, Gerald Hutchman, Christopher Earl, CFUR 88.7 FM, University of Northern British Columbia, Prince George, British Columbia. Beautiful, beautiful place. Let's hope they get snow for the Olympics. Friday night, Saturday morning, 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. Kurt Wetmore is at CFXU 93. 3.3 FM, St. Francis Xavier University in Antigonish, Nova Scotia, Saturday evenings from 10 p.m. to midnight. You're listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland. www.nightfrightshow.com www.nightfrightshow.com. You can click on the archives there and download all the shows to your iPod or other personal listening device for free. Feel free. There's something like 55, 56 shows now, something like that. Robin's show will be up there next week. Also, I want to just mention coming up 
in March this year, 2010. 2010 already. I still can't get over that one every time I say it. We're having a whole special on 2012. We're going to be talking about Crystal Skulls in 2012. I'm going to try and bring John Hogue back and talk about Nostradamus in 2012. I'm going to try and get Whitley Strieber on the show, talk about his book, 2012. All kinds of great guests and the spiritual revolution for 2012. So that's coming up in March. Let me just see this as I click on this. Next week, we have Annie Wilder is going to be joining us. Spirits out of time. She grew up in a haunted house also, and she's going to be telling us some fascinating stories about that. The week after that, a real Canadian haunting. Halifax Haunts, exploring the city's spookiest spaces, and it's Steve Verne is going to be joining us. Week after that, of course, we've got Dan Aykroyd's dad, Peter Aykroyd, in a first hour, and John Robert Colombo will be joining us for the second hour, the big book of Canadian hauntings. And it truly is a big book. Got a copy of it. It's about an inch, an inch and a half thick. Whoever knew Canada was so haunted? <laughs> and they say we're boring. One of my favorite guests is going to be joining us in February, Jim Mars. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it should. Jim Mars, of course, wrote the de facto Bible on the Kennedy assassination. It was called Crossfire, the Plot to Kill JFK. And Oliver Stone used that book as one of his sources for the movie JFK. He's got a new book out called The Rise of the Fourth Reich. So Jim Mars will be joining us in February, and then we're into 2012. You're listening to Night Fright. Your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland. Right now we are speaking with Robin Bellamy. Robin Bellamy, of course, is an expert, an absolute expert on the Mothman. And I've learned a ton of stuff about the Mothman tonight. It's our first show on the Mothman. And uh, I'm going to invite Robin back right now to talk some more about it, probably in the summer. I think that'll be a great... I'm going to try and do a little thing again in the summer. Fascinating, fascinating uh, legend. She's seen one. Now, the thing about the Rothman that really creeps me out is the two red eyes. And she said they kind of glow from behind the eye. Now, right away, I'm getting goosebumps just as I say that. Robin Bellamy also teaches paranormal research course for the Toronto School Board. No word of a lie. Robin Bellamy is a member of SICAN, Paranormal Studies and Investigations Canada, talking about various investigations that they take on and uh, the standards that they live up to. Um, we talked about the various shows that are on television and uh, how they lie and they fool the audience, and SICAN has no part of that. Before the break, Robin, I wanted to um, continue along with our with our talk about the Toronto District School Board, and they were so nice to let you teach a ghost research course. I was wondering, when somebody contacts you or SICAN, how do you discern between something that somebody that may be a little bit mentally disturbed as opposed to somebody that really does have a problem with a ghost? Is there a Initially, series of... that's not always apparent. Ah. Um, because a lot of our discussions are via email. It's hard to kind of get a feel for someone that way. Mm -hmm. uh, if we are going to pursue the, the case, make an actual case out of it, uh, we will have a face-to-face -face meeting if that's possible. And that kind of gives us a better idea of what we're dealing with. Uh, so we treat every feel. single witness mm -hmm. as if they are perfectly sane and normal and, you know, not challenged in any way. Okay. Uh, at least initially. 
uh, if we think there might be some kind of psychiatric or psychological reason mm -hmm. for what they're experiencing, we will suggest that they speak to a doctor, uh, make sure that that whatever's happening to them or their loved one mm -hmm. does not have kind of, some kind of chemical or uh, psychological basis. Uh, we are fortunate to have a couple of really good psychologists and a, and a psychiatrist that we do mm -hmm. sort of point them to. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we can't actually do referrals because we're you know we're not a medical organization, uh, but we can kind of say, okay, this person is sensitive to the possibility of the paranormal, mm -hmm. uh, and that's that's generally they they generally take our advice. Um, and we've actually had people come back and say, you know what, you were absolutely right. It was night terrors or it was oh, you know, yeah, yeah. something out of my past that was creeping up or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and that, but certainly there is always an element of respect because no matter whether you have an illness or not, it's very real for you. What you're experiencing is a very real thing. And it's unfortunate that there are some people who get labeled crazy just mm -hmm. for speaking out about it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, we were discussing before. Now, with your course, I want to go back to your course for a second. What type of folks can sign up for the course? Any lay person, or is there a certain criteria that um, that they come with? Right now, it's anybody over the age of 18 who mm -hmm. lives in the Toronto area. I don't think it's open to anybody outside because it is a school board mm -hmm. course. Mm -hmm. um, we are in discussions about doing a 10-week course mm -hmm. that that delves into all sorts of paranormal, just not you know not just ghosts. Um, although certainly there's a lot of stuff to talk about with ghosts, mm -hmm. um, but we've seen people come out of the course wanting more, wanting to learn how to actually be an investigator hmm. uh, rather than just, you know, spend a Saturday afternoon running around haunted places. <laughs> um, so we're talking right now about expanding maybe once a year to a 10-week course and talking about all sorts of things from UFOs to Bigfoot. Mm, that'd be quite interesting. And I will get you in touch with Michelle Deschamps. She's the uh, MUFON director for, for Ontario, actually. And he's he's a Sudburyan. He's right here in Sudbury. With your course, you say you go to a haunted house. Is it the same haunted house all the time, or do you? Well, we don't go to houses. Ah. Uh, we go to public buildings that have reports from them. Uh huh. Um, nobody really wants to have a bunch of people traipsing around their house talking about ghosts. Hmm. Uh, what you end up with in that case is the media parked outside and mm. you know, all sorts of things. People show up in the middle of the night and bang mm. on your door. Uh, yeah. So we go to places like uh, restaurants and bars. Um, a lot of the heritage buildings have reports of ghosts from all sorts of generations. Um, we've, oh gosh, we've been everywhere. Um, we've been out to the, um, um, we've been to Fort York. We've been to mm -hmm. the AGO in the Grange. Um, just all, all kinds of places here in Toronto that have had usually staff report that something weird was going on. One of my favorites is the old Toronto Stock Exchange. Oh, really? It is now the Design Exchange, and they were gracious enough to let us come in and tour. And we were actually able to look at the construction of the building and um, some of the, the uh, pipes and things that they would send communications through. Mm -hmm. uh, are still in place, and that might explain some of the noises. Uh, we got to go behind the scenes and and 
see the, the walls that were built around the original walls. It was a fascinating experience just to get in there and see all the old architecture. Yeah, I'd love to do something like that, too. What scares you in the middle of the night? Um, very little. I uh, am not easily frightened anymore. Mm-hmm. I have seen some things that make me go, oh, my gosh, but really not that often. Mm. Uh, however... Mm-hmm. I went to Waverly Hill Sanatorium in Kentucky um, oh. for Alliance Atlantis a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and I was never so terrified in my life as I was in that place. Uh, and that's extremely unusual for me. I, I don't scare easily. Mm-hmm. And this thing absolutely had nightmares forever. But here in the Toronto area, there's a place in Markham called the Milne Conservation Area, Mm-hmm. And we have reports of something in the woods there, and that's really strange. Um, I get creeped out about that. Uh, I think that's why I do a lot of cryptozoology is because it's still interesting to me. Mm-hmm. It still scares me. Um, but this is some kind of a, a large black beady-eyed thing that I initially assumed was a bear until somebody told me that not every place in Canada had bears. Um, but it shows up in conservation areas all along the Rouge River, and there is a sense of absolute terror associated with it. Every witness, even the more seasoned investigators, uh, express this this sheer terror when you're in the vicinity of this thing. Um, So, yeah, that's probably something that still scares me. Can you describe it at all? Has anybody been able to describe it or sketch it? Uh, only that it, it's big and bulky, kind of like um, like a Bigfoot, mm-hmm. only it's not, there isn't that sense of Bigfoot. You know, but when you experience a Bigfoot, it's like there really is an animal. But this is very otherworldly. Oh. This is very terrifying. Creep, yeah. It is. It's, it's extremely unnerving. Uh, and it, it can hide in the snow. Uh, we had one witness that saw it rise up out of a snowbank. Um, so it's, oh, I'm, I'm getting chills just telling you about yeah, it. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> I just it also turned the lights has red on. eyes. Oh, this has red eyes too. It does. Um, all, all the evil monsters have red eyes. Oh. Uh, and it's, it's really quite frightening. Um, I would not be along the Rouge River at night, ever. So the, oh man, that's pretty creepy. That's the first I've heard of this type of creature. Isn't that interesting? Any um, oral traditions going back to the First Nations people? About this uh, I would like to have more information on that. I yeah. don't have any specifics. Um, generally, First Nations people report unexplainable things, but I'm not really familiar enough with the culture. Okay. Um, there, I'm sure there is somebody at SICAN who is. Um, and certainly my expertise is not with Canadian First Nations. If there's anybody listening right now wants to get in touch with Robin, if you know anything about this creature, if you're a First Nations person and you want to share some of the stories that have been passed down to you, please do. You can just go to the www.nightfrightshow.com website, click on Robin's highlighted name in blue and underlined. That'll take you right to her website. You can get in contact with her right there. No problem whatsoever. So that type of thing creeps you out. Now, you mentioned that you don't believe in demons. When people contact you and they say, there's a demon in my house, there's a demon in my house, it won't leave us alone, it's attacking us, etc., etc., what is your first initial step? Do you go to the house? Um, not initially. First, not we have initially, to yeah. uh, research the, the people that mm-hmm. are living there. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can find lots of information about people that 
they probably aren't even aware you can. For instance, if you own your home, mm-hmm. even if there's a mortgage, anybody can walk into the land registry office and find out who your mortgage is with, who owned the house previously, mm-hmm. clear back to Crown Land. Wow. Um, and that's one of the things we do. We research the nature of the land in Crown times to see if there have been any other reports of anything ever. Uh, we look at old newspapers, things like that. Oh, yeah. We also look at the kind of phenomena that is reported um, and learn more about that kind of phenomena. Um, certainly if it's something that comes up a lot, as, as demons do, um, we are a little bit more knowledgeable about that. But demons tend to be labeled as frightening because they're unknown, more so than mm. they hurt people. Mm. I personally, I've been doing this for now, oh my goodness, eight years. Mm-hmm. Oh wow, <laughs> time does fly. Um, and I've never had a case where any entity has ever harmed anybody, ever. Thank God. So yeah. it's, the, it's the frightening element that most people associate with demonic stuff. Um, now I have injured myself in an investigation, I was caught off guard and stepped back and fell over a tricycle. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> but certainly it was not an, an attack from any kind of entity. Okay, okay, fair enough. You're listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland. There's a lot of electronic equipment. We had you had alluded to this before. You were saying that some of the light meters and things of that nature, they're just not credible anymore. Uh, we have, we don't have any proof that they actually show anything mm. except the fluctuation. Um, and there are so many other reasons for fluctuations. It's not dependable. I see. What type of equipment do you use that you're relying on? I use a lot of lasers. Oh, can you describe uh, that? Of, this is the first I've heard of this. One, well, this is, I don't, I don't know that actually a lot of people do this. This is something mm-hmm. I started when I went to Waverly Hills. We set up a cross pattern of laser beams mm-hmm. and actually saw something break the laser. Oh, like it walked God. across the room. Um, caught it on film. We're still analyzing the film just to make sure it wasn't, you know, a mouse or something mm-hmm. like that. But it, at this point, does not appear to have been anything that you could see with the naked eye. Uh, and, and video cameras, of course, are the number one thing. You want to document everything that happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, still cameras, we're using not just digital, but also standard 35-millimeter film because oh, you can't alter the negatives. That's right. Um, with, with the exception of a double exposure, you've got that negative that shows what happened without a Photoshop comment. Right, gotcha. I understand that. Um, when you take a digital picture, the minute you download it, it's digitally altered. Uh, and that's not to suggest that everybody fakes everything. It's just that it sets us up for criticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we've got that 35 millimeter picture to back it up, it's a lot easier to defend. Well, this begs a question now then. When you're using the analog camera and the digital camera, you take the, the identical picture does one reveal something that the other wouldn't? Sometimes. Really? Usually it reveals orbs. Aha. Um, and basically, and people are going to just really write to you and say that lady's crazy, but basically orbs are not spirit-related. They are anomalies in either film or camera lens. 
Uh, we have discussed this with experts at Fujifilm and Black mm-hmm. Camera and you know, Kodak, and mm-hmm. everybody seems to agree that generally orbs are just flecks of dust or bugs or something like that that are caught by these super sensitive lenses that came out after the 1970s. I see, I see. It's also why you don't generally see your orbs in old pictures. I guess that makes perfect sense then. What about audio? What type of audio equipment are you using? Again, we're using um, analog primarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, we'll run both the digital and the analog just because the digital is easier to manipulate to hear things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we've also got it backed up on the analog tape. So, again, it can't be altered, um, or at least not easily, <laughs> certainly not by anybody in, in our group. Hmm. Um, we do research elect, uh, electronic voice phenomena. Mm-hmm. We have a couple of people that that's kind of their specialty. We do occasionally get something that is noteworthy, um, but to do that, we're listening to hours and hours and hours and hours mm-hmm. of nothing. It's time EVP does not come nearly as commonly as the movies and TV shows would portray mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy to misinterpret other sounds. Uh, it's crucial that you have a microphone that is well away, or well away from the recording equipment mm-hmm. because it, it'll pick up the sound of um, the wheels turning if you use tape recorder with oh, the built-in mic. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that kind of blows anything mm-hmm. interpretive because, you know, the whistle sounds of the wheels turning is enough to throw things off. Mm-hmm. That said, we have had some remarkable things come across tape. Um, quite recently, we had an investigation, and unfortunately I can't tell you where, but mm-hmm. um, there is interaction between a child, a, a, a real child, a physically present child, mm-hmm. and children that we believe to be entities or ghosts, for lack of a better word. Um, and they're, the child, the living child, is interacting verbally with the dead children in a conversation. In real time? She can hear? In real time. Oh, my yeah. God. It, and it's, it's very unnerving. Oh, yeah. Um, none of the adults that were present were aware of this. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we knew that the child was talking. How old's the child? Children talk, you know? <laughs> can you tell me how old the child is? At that point, he was eight. Oh. Um, so, you know, not prone to yeah. you know, have invisible friends at that yeah, point. Yeah, it's a little older. I, yeah, I was, I was expecting four or five, you know. No. And it is a heritage property. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a, a long history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it, it's just fascinating to listen to that particular tape because they're clearly having a conversation. Oh, my God. It is. It's, it's very faint. You know, it's hard to mm-hmm, hear. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of separate the layers out. Um, but because one voice is responding to another voice, it, it's pretty obvious that they're talking. That's uh, that's unnerving. How we have a, another one out of St. Catherine mm-hmm. that um, the the entity is telling our director Matthew to shut up. Really. And and we all think that's kind of funny because he does tend to be a little verbose. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Matthew. <laughs> got no respect. It reminds me of Rodney. Poor Rodney Danger. <laughs> I get no respect. We're going to have to start to wrap up now. But what I would like to do is continue along the lines of, of what you explain to people in your course. Do various members of SICAN join you? When you Not teach usually, the course? although oh. in our last tour they did meet us at one of the locations. 
uh, that we were in the Swansea um, Fire Hall, mm-hmm. which is someplace that we're kind of ongoing to um, research. And they, they showed up there and talked about some of the history, as well as learned new information from the firefighters that were on duty that day. Interesting. Interesting, interesting. Hmm. I bet they had a lot of stories to tell, too. Well, we really had to coax it out of them. Um, I think they thought we were going to make fun of them. Um, mm. So they were a little bit reluctant at first. But then eventually they opened up. And, and we got some really interesting stories, primarily about a firefighter who had been associated with that hall and then subsequently died, not in a fire or tragically, but just mm-hmm. you know, had passed on. Mm-hmm. Um, and he comes back and, and visits with them. Interesting. Isn't that neat? Yeah, and if you can just teach him how to make supper, that'd be great. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm making light of a serious subject. You know, you mentioned children before, and that always freaks me out, to think that a child is trapped between here and the light, as I like to call it, or heaven. Is that by choice with a child? I, I suspect it's probably by choice with an adult, because like you said before, the adult wants to go where it felt comfortable. So instead of moving on to the other side, it may go back and haunt a place where it was comfortable. But with a child, would they make a conscious choice like that? Would they be aware that they have indeed died? I don't know. Mm. Uh, I think it's possible to a certain extent. Certainly a child probably older than four would be capable of making that kind of a conscious choice. Mm -hmm. But whether they would or not, I don't know. Yeah, anything to do with a child, whether, you know, stuck or in, in agony or pain or anything, it just, that's what horrifies me. So, yeah, I was just curious um, how we could send, how it's possible to send children to the light and tell them to move on and that it's okay. The Spiritualist Church of Canada is really good about helping people with those kinds of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, if they feel like they need some advice and maybe their own church doesn't really cater to talking about that sort of thing. Mm. The Spiritualist Church of Canada is more than willing to talk to anybody free of charge. That's terrific. Uh, Yeah, they've been really supportive. That's great. You're listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland. Folks, if you're joining us, we're speaking with Robin Bellamy. We've been having a great conversation tonight about all things paranormal. She is a member of SICAN, which is Paranormal Studies and Investigations Canada. She's an expert, a complete expert on the Mothman, and we started out the show talking in depth about Mothman and uh, the Mothman prophecies. She speaks yearly at a Mothman festival in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And... um, As it turns out, she teaches a ghost research course. This is fascinating for me for the Toronto District School Board. And I think it's a great idea. Why not? And if you want to get in touch with Robin, just go to the www.nightfrightshow.com website, www.nightfrightshow.com. Tonight's guest, just click on that. You're going to see Robin Bellamy's name. It's blue highlighted like a link is on any other web page, and it's underlined. Just click on that. Take you right to her website. You can get in contact with her right there. Robin, I must say it's been a pure delight speaking with you tonight, and I thank you so much for coming on. Robin was a real trooper to come on tonight, folks, because several weeks ago she was supposed to come on the show, and unfortunately I had to rush off to Montreal, a bit of a family emergency, and um, I had to cancel our show together, and I was really looking forward to that. So uh, when I had an open spot tonight, I had called her, and uh, she stepped up to the plate just like that. And I think that's a testament to the type of person and uh, integrity 
that she carries throughout her life. Oh, you're such a sweetheart. Oh, thank you very much. Any parting words? Um, don't believe everything you see. Very well put. Very well put. Well, you'll have to come back again. As I said, I'm going to try and fix something up for her. I had a whole horror summer thing going on, and, uh, you know, there's something about the summer and the wind blowing and the leaves rustling, and you start talking about Mothman. And the window's open and he could come in. Oh, thank you very much. Now, how the hell am I supposed to walk from here to the car <laughs> to get home? I wouldn't if I were you. I'm telling you, stay at the studio. If I see two red eyes, oh, my God. And that's the type of night it's been, folks. It's been a scary, creepy night, which is a typical night fright night. Thank you so much. I'll be in touch again without question. And Wonderful. That's just wonderful. Thank you so much, and have a great night. Thank you. You take care now. Thanks. Bye now. Bye. Robin Barami. Wasn't that great? I had learned so much tonight about Mothman that I had no idea. It's the first show we've done on Mothman. And to be honest, the only information I had on Mothman, of course, came from the movie. And uh, there's so much more about this legend and uh, the speculation and everything behind it. Of course, Robin Bellamy is a member of SICAN, which is Paranormal Studies and Investigations Canada. As I said, she can be reached through the www.nightfrightshow.com website. If you have any information for her or stories you want to share or any sightings or anything along that, just click on her highlighted name. It's in blue, underlined, and click on that and take you right to her website and get in touch with her. No problem whatsoever. Thank you again, Robin. It was a terrific, terrific evening. Just want to let you know, next week, we've got coming up Annie Wilder. Her book is called Spirits Out of Time in 1994. I'll just read this really quickly. Annie Wilder and her children moved to a 100-year-old house in historic Mississippi River town. Oh, yeah. Beautiful, but... Spooky. No kidding. A hundred-year-old house in a historic Mississippi River town? Of course. The house has been on the market for, oh, how many times have you heard this? The house has been on the market for six months with no offers. Geez, I wonder why. It felt like and proved to be a very, very haunted house. Next week on Night Fright. Spirits Out of Time, Annie Wilder will be joining us to talk about that. I want to thank Robin Bellamy again for coming on and being a super trooper. What a wonderful woman, eh? Wasn't that fun? And very knowledgeable and uh, very honest, very authentic. And I'm finding that more and more with researchers in Canada in general. Very authentic people. They're not in it for the bucks. They are in it because they care about people. And uh, kudos to her. And all at Saikan. I'm Brent Holland for Night Fright. I'll see you next week. Keep the lights on. You're listening to Night Fright and your host, Brent Holland. The time is now. Your voice in the dark for Paranormal and Conspiracy Radio.
This is from Chrissy, and she writes, uh, Hi Brent, uh, always love ghost stories. They always manage to scare the heck out of me. I've got a ghostly experience. It isn't particularly scary, but was slightly unnerving. The first event took place in Alberta in the foothills of the Rockies in 1993. I had met a wonderful man and he asked me to get married. Well, congratulations, Chrissy. Of course I said yes. Shortly after that, my mom, my brother, my sister and I decided to take one last family trip together before my wedding. We were driving across Alberta and we decided to take a break and stay in a small hotel in a little town in the northeastern part of the province before tackling the Rockies the next day. We checked into what looked like a clean and well-kept motel for what was expected to be a restful night's sleep. We flipped a coin, and I won and got the double bed near the window to myself. Sometime during the night, I awoke to the feeling of someone gently cupping my face and softly patting my cheek. Hmm. The sensation didn't last long, and I sat bolt upright and stared around the room. It was a cramped space with my bed so close to the wall that an adult could not stand there. My brother was at the foot of the bed on a cot and could not have moved fast enough to give the impression of deep sleep after touching my face. And besides, I didn't feel the bed shift under any weight. Once my heartbeat slowed down and I assured myself that I was okay and everyone was sound asleep, I laid back down and drifted comfortably off. I talked to my family the next day and even asked the staff if there was any ghostly phenomena that had been reported. They all looked at me like I was nuts. After much thought, I figured it was my dad ah, who had passed away, letting me know that he approved of my choice and husband's and that everything would be all right. Wow, that's a nice one. Thanks, Chrissy. This one ties in nicely with Christine's story, actually. Uh, it's just a short one via email. My husband and I moved into our new home in Brossard several years ago. Ah, must be Lee again. I guess I was around 32 or 33. After the first week or so, I started seeing a man walking around the main floor and upstairs. Oh, yeah, I would be... Uh, Lee, I, I, I need to advise you now. Get out of that house. I always see it out of the corner of my eye. I seem to see it more when I am very angry or feeling very sad. This went on and on, seeing the man walking towards me. Once, when I was sick, I actually saw the man coming down the hall toward my room. It didn't feel scary, though. While out with the girls one night, we decided to go see a psychic. Wait until you hear what they told me. It completely freaked me out. They simply stated, You have a ghost in your house. He is a tall man. You have nothing to fear, as he means you no harm. You see him more when you are upset or angry, and he only wants to be a comfort to you. The man that is in your house is your father. As you know, my dad died when I was a baby. 
Wow. What a story.